I just really love it when we, um, that, that noise is what I really love. I don't know if you can hear that off campus. It's just a beautiful buzzing sound here. Uh, I, I, uh, I really love it as I can sense the Lord weaving things together that we did not plan. And that is exactly, uh, like, nobody has seen my manuscript. I wrote this before I saw Matt's set list this morning. Uh, and I could see the Lord is just weaving some things together. And so if you're sensing that in your life, I just want to encourage you that as we, can, as we go to the word now, just continue to lean into it. Lean into what he's saying to you and listen because um, my words are my words. But what the Lord would say to you, um, that's life-changing. That's life-transformative. So um, we're going to jump right in. Let's recap where we've been. This is the third and final message of this series. Uh, Here's where we are in the book of Habakkuk. You're going to want to turn there to chapter 3. Habakkuk is a prophet, and he calls out or complains or laments to God because there's so much wrong in Judah, and there's so much injustice, and there are so many people who are being disobedient to God, and anyone who's trying to be righteous is being persecuted, and so he's calling out to God saying, why won't you do something about what's happening here? And God answers him and says, Oh, I'm going to do something. In fact, I'm going to use the Babylonians to come and conquer Judah and bring the justice that is needed in that nation. And Habakkuk says, "Uh, excuse me, anything but that, Lord, anything but the Babylonians. That's a horrible idea. How does that line up with your character, God? How does that, um, that make any sense? And so he took up his watch. He climbed up the rampart metaphorically, and he watched like a watchman and said, I'm God, I I just think this is a terrible idea. How will you answer me? And God does answer him and tells him that you don't need, you don't, you worry about you. I will deal with the Babylonians. I can see them. I'm not blind to them. I am using them for my purposes in this time. But there is coming a day when I will deal with them according to their own sin. I'm working out my plan. And how we left Habakkuk at the end of chapter 2 is after God had answered him, Habakkuk just stands there in holy awe, silent before God at his response. But that's not the end of this little book of prophecy. And so we are going to just step, we're going to step through chapter 3, and I want you to see a couple things in here, uh, see what he did, and we're going to um, just see how we can maybe apply this to our lives too. So let's read Habakkuk chapter 3. It's in the YouVersion app, of course, um, under more than events. It's already loaded up there for you, but it's great also if you have a Bible in front of you, you can follow along that way. We're going to do a little stopping and starting, Vaughn. I forgot to tell you that. Stopping and starting. So good luck to you. If, if this, the slides are not there, that's not on him. That's because I made it super complicated this morning for him. Um, okay, so uh, verse 1 says this, Habakkuk's prayer. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. On Siganoth. So Siganoth, you might say immediately, what? Well, good question. It's a musical or literary term. Probably. <laughs> Scholars always say probably. That's their best guess. Verse 19, if you skip all the way down, if you're looking in the scriptures, you'll see in the very end of this chapter, it says, for the director of music on my stringed instruments. So this prayer is actually meant to be sung, and it was played accompanied by string instruments. So Siganoth is probably uh, a musical term of some kind. Um, and it says that it's a, it's a prayer of Habakkuk's, but it's a different kind of prayer now than what we saw in chapter 1 and chapter 2. It's not like the petition that we've been seeing, that like asking God for something, a, demanding a response from God. It's different now. It's still communicating with God, but it, you'll see that it's very different now. 
uh, and this, this psalm, as you're going to see, it, it evolves into this psalm is said to be on, um, on Shiganoth, which sort of they think means like a dirge, which is a rare term only ever found in Psalm 7 also. And according to one commentator, what they think is that this, uh, this Shiganoth situation, that's what I'm calling it, they only use this term in cases where the psalm uh, is communicating complete reliance on God's faithfulness. So there's a real depth to that word, even if we don't fully understand it. Verse 2, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. This is the only petition, the only ask in this, in this chapter. And that's a pretty big contrast when we think about what uh, Habakkuk asked in, in chapter 1, chapter 2. And so what Habakkuk is now going to do is he's going to recount He's going to remember, he's going to remind God, God, as if God forgot, about some of the deeds that God has done. Some of the things that God has done in the past. That, and, and the implication here, of course, do it again in our day. Like we want, these are the things, God, I want to see again in my lifetime. Verse 3. Here his, he's starting his, uh, his remembrance. God came from Timon, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. So here, Habakkuk is re- uh, referring to the Exodus, um, picturing God coming from south of Israel and sweeping across to Egypt to rescue them. And he's basically saying, listen, the mountains are old. They're ancient, but God is older. So there's all these implications in what he's writing. The mountains will eventually crumble, but God will still be on the move. No matter how old something is, God is older is the idea here. So that we can rest in that, verse 7. I saw the tents of Cushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish, which is likely a reference to Exodus 15 and Joshua 2, where scripture records that the nations and the people who were living around the Israelites were afraid of them because they had heard of the crazy awesome things that God had done for them. So that's probably what is talk, they're talking about. he's talking about here, verse 8. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? Habakkuk is sort of picturing God here as a divine warrior. He's likely thinking about um, the way that he came and rescued them in the plagues on the Nile or how they, um, and or how they crossed the Red Sea, how they crossed the Jordan River. Verse 9, you uncovered your bow You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains you saw, saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. Isn't this incredible? 
And there's references in here, poetic references, of course, because it's a song, it's a psalm and it, to music, of course, that he's writing here. Probably there's some reference in here that sun and the moon standing still to Joshua's victory in Gibeon in Joshua chapter 10. If you know that story where that God made the sun stand still so they would have more time, more daylight to win the victory. And the idea that Habakkuk is kind of pushing into here is that um, if, if he did that for them, he literally made the sun stand still for a victory, then he can trust God for the next victory too, if that's the same God that he's praying to. Verse 12, in, in wrath you strode out through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. And, and here, again, you, you see God as the divine warrior. He, he's setting up this picture of God. And this is a fascinating turn of heart for Habakkuk. Because Habakkuk is saying these things and seeing what God is capable of doing, what he's already said he would do uh, to the Babylonians, but also how he would punish and judge the Israelites in Judah as well. But here Habakkuk is, is still talking in that way, but you can hear he says that God came out and threshed the nations. There's a picture. Hey, Revelation, connecting point, small group. He threshed the nations. Just a little, yeah, I see you. You see me seeing you. We talked about that. It should have been in our group, right, guys? Like, whatever. It's okay. Next time, maybe. Okay. Uh, but that, that uh, metaphor of threshing the nations, literally like harvesting the nations in order to judge them, in this case, to judge them and punish them for their sin. But he points out, if you notice, a contrast between God's wrath on Babylon and on Israel. You came out to deliver your people, he says. You can see the shift. Habakkuk sees a promise, even if it's a small glint of hope, he sees that promise of hope and salvation for God's people because they are his covenant people, the people he's made his promise to. So already we're seeing a shift in Habakkuk here. We're already in his ability to see that God has what he has done and that God is going to and will deliver his people. You're seeing it as a pretty far cry from the complaints that he leveled in chapter 1 and 2. And there's another reference here um, in verse 15 to the Exodus um, and the Red Sea. He says, you trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. Again, a poetic reference to the Exodus. And now Habakkuk is going to describe his, you're doing so great, Vaughn. Like, seriously, so great. I'm like watching the slides go, and I'm like, let's go. No indication when I'm going to go to the next verse. He's just on it. Well done. Everyone just give him a high five at the end of the service. Now Habakkuk is going to describe now his own response to the recalling of these things. So he's recalled these things. He's sort of, his mind is shifting. We're pretty far cry from his complaints, his, his first two complaints to God. Now verse 16, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. A real physical response. Yet... I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails 
and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. It's a really famous verse. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. For the director of music, all my string instruments. <laughs> that was, it was the end, but we just want to make sure, he, everyone, I guess it was important that we knew that. Isn't that incredible? I mean, this is one of those, I, I want to do a series someday called In Context, because we love to pull that verse out. But when you hear what he says right before that, even if everything around me fails, literally my crops fail, I see no hope, I will trust God. I will not just trust him, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. He says, like, with all of these things in mind, with all that God has done in the past, with all I've seen him do, all of the stories that I've heard, my first response is to be physically weak. That was the beginning of this little passage. He just stands there kind of in awe and in shock and maybe in, in fear. But his response doesn't stop there. Because when he considers what God has done, he becomes stronger in his faith. When he considers who God has shown himself to be in the past, he becomes even stronger in his faith. When he thinks about what God is capable of, who he is and how he kept his promises, his faith is stronger and stronger. The Israelites depended on crops for their living. They were in real trouble when a crop failed or when an enemy came in and destroyed a crop. And like literally what he is saying here is this may get really bad before it gets better. And I might not even see the physical evidence of it, but I will wait for the promise of God. He has not failed us in the past and he will not fail us now. He will come and defeat our enemies like he promised, like he promised in chapter two. He will do it. Here's this shift in Habakkuk's thinking and heart. It's, it's pretty intense and amazing. If this is your first uh, sermon in this series, hearing this first message, go back and like read Habakkuk 1 and 2. You'll see that this was not the vibe going on in those first two complaints. And verse 18 is one of the, the strongest affirmations of faith in Scripture. I, I read that over and over as I was studying for this. How many commentators were like, this is one of the strongest affirmations of faith in all of Scripture. Habakkuk is not staring at a fulfilled promise and rejoicing. It is the opposite of that. He is completely on this side of the fulfilled promise, but he is staring straight at the face of God. I had somebody send me a clip of Billy Graham. You probably have heard that name if you haven't ever heard him preach. Um, he was a preacher an evangelist, uh, very, very well known. And no, we did not test this video before the sermon because I forgot. And it's going to be fine. <laughs> Walt's like, I got you, I got you. I love a challenge, I love a challenge. Somebody sent me this clip, uh, and it's Billy Graham speaks for one minute um, on this passage in Habakkuk. I want you to hear it. Habakkuk said, Lord, please tell me what you're doing. And God said, no, I'm not going to tell you, Habakkuk. Because if I told you what I was doing, you wouldn't believe it. If God today told us what he's doing in the world, we wouldn't believe it. Don't you think God's given up and God's abdicated and God's left the throne? He hasn't. 
He's still on the throne. And those of us that know him put our trust in him and him alone. I don't put my trust in Washington. I don't put my trust in the United Nations. I don't put my trust in myself. I don't put trust in my money. I put my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. When all the rest of it fails and crumbles and shatters, he'll be there. Huh. Amen. Okay, great to see you guys. I don't know if I should really try to preach after Billy Graham. I also think I should incorporate a lot of this white waving. That's how my grandpa used to preach. Um, I loved it. Isn't that just it? Isn't that just it? And also a reminder, Billy Graham says Habakkuk, and I say Habakkuk, and we are all Christians, okay? <laughs> we all love Jesus the same. And I remember I told you in week one, it's okay. It's okay. It's not, it's not heretical. And so Habakkuk is saying this. He will no longer question God's purposes. He will merely wait quietly and patiently for the purposes to be realized because he trusts him. Judgment's going to have to come because of Judah's sin. All of Judah's produce literally might fail. It doesn't matter what Habakkuk sees. He will trust in God. So how did he get there? How did Habakkuk get to a place where he trusted God like that? Well, we talked about in week one, he just poured out his heart to God. He poured out his heart to God. He didn't pretend otherwise. Like, I'm good, Jesus, I'm good. Oh, a few things are going on. <laughs> no, he poured out his heart to God and told him exactly what he was feeling. Last week we talked about how he got up on the rampart and expectantly looked and watched for God's response to him, expecting that God would respond. And then here in chapter 3, he turned his face toward God in worship. I wrote in my manuscript, as I sometimes do, lyrics to songs, as I sometimes do. And uh, I did not know Matt was going to sing it, but I just thought, he turned his face toward God in worship, and I was just in my office writing this, and I thought, yeah, you can't go back to the beginning. I feel like that's Habakkuk's song, you know? I can't control what tomorrow will bring, but I know here in the middle, is the place where you promised to be, right? Because worship is ultimately, at its core, an act of surrender. Sometimes we think that worship is a response to um, feeling God, or it's a response to receiving a blessing, or receiving a promise, or receiving an answer to prayer, and I, it is. But that's not what it is at, at its core. It's an act of surrender that very, very often church precedes the answer. Often precedes the answer. Habakkuk's song of praise is a declaration that he trusts God's purposes for Israel and for the nations. And God's word to him humbled him. And in his humility, he rests securely in God's strength. That's his response, not his own. He, he has nothing. He has nothing and he sees it. There's nothing he can do about it. Yet he promises, uh, he, he, he receives the promise of God and he worships him. Stripped of everything else, even through deprivation, even through suffering, 
he can never be deprived of his God. That's what I loved about that, that Billy Graham clip. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what come. No one can ever take Jesus from me. He calls him God, my Savior. Does that sound familiar? That doesn't matter what comes. God, my Savior, I will praise you. It reminds me a lot of what Paul said to the Romans in chapter 8 of that letter. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, you know this one, neither angels nor demons, neither present, the future, or any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Habakkuk, who starts in depression and doubt, ends with life and confidence in God's provision and power. Isn't that so much about what Matt and Tamara were just talking about too this morning? Do you hear that? I'm feeling it weaving together in my spirit. Habakkuk's inner peace did not depend on his outward prosperity. He's not any longer, he says, going to question God's purposes. He's going to wait quietly and patiently for those purposes to be realized because God can be trusted with them. And though judgment must come because of Judah's sin, Habakkuk will trust God. And strength is available for those who have their faith in God. So, what do we do when we're waiting? What do we do if, like what Pastor Aaron was praying over us this morning, we, just, we are in that chapter one situation? What do we do when we're waiting for God? What do we do? Maybe even we recognize that he's sovereign, but we, are so, we feel like we're so far on this side of the answer to whatever's going on in our life. We're so far on this side of it. There's so much uncertainty. There's so much unknown. There's so much pain. There's so much grief. Whatever it is in your life, what do we do in the waiting? Well, we've been applying these scriptures in Habakkuk to our lives and our questions and our complaints and our laments. But I want you to realize that Habakkuk was struggling with the state of the world he was living in. But it, wasn't, um, it didn't have to necessarily be a personal crisis of faith for him. In fact, when he looked around at the world, he saw um, chaos. But when he looked to his God, he saw faithfulness. So whether you're facing down a diagnosis of some kind or a heartbreak, or a need, or anything else in your life. Or as it was said to me last week, you feel like the world itself has come off its axis. Have you ever felt, have you been feeling like that in the world for the past two years? The response is the same. It doesn't matter the situation. The response is the same. Look and watch. Wait patiently. And chapter three here, surrender in worship. I want to do a little experimental worshiping with you this morning. Does that sound like fun? You're like, seriously, what does that mean? I know, don't be nervous. Don't be nervous. Worship team, you can just hang for a second. I'm going to call you just a minute. I know you're excited. I know you're excited. I know you're excited. Um, I just wanted to do a little experiment with you this morning because I wanted to show you, like, literally and practically what I mean by this. When I say worship, I don't mean music. However... Are you ready for me to switch this now? However, I will say this. When we come to God in song, when we come to him and pour out our hearts, um, it's very, very biblical. 
So there is a lot of ways to worship. There's a lot of ways. Worship just really means the surrender of our lives. So that can mean a lot of different things. But we also very strategically, and um, not because we don't have anything else to do in our service, so we better fill, Matt, could you fill 20 minutes with some songs because we don't know what else to do? That's never the case. And so in my life, um, I've told this story, but if it's new to you, uh, I'll just tell a little bit of it. But in my life, this has been really helpful for me in a lot of ways. I know not everybody writes songs. I barely ever write songs, but when I do, it's because I need a little lament. And I need to learn to trust God. And so there was a, there was a, I won't tell the story what was going on in my life, but it was a season of waiting. It was a season of frustration. And I was like looking up scriptures because I didn't know what else to do. As a last resort, I looked in the word. Come on, Tracy, you can do better than that. Do you want me to switch this mic now? Yeah. Um, I, uh, I went to the word and I was like, what does the word say? What does the word say about waiting? It's stupid. Everything's, that's how I felt. And I, I honestly sat down on my piano at, with my Bible, and I read this from Psalm 130. I will wait for the Lord, my soul waits in his word where I find my hope. I will wait for the Lord, my soul waits in his word where I find my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the sign of the sun. I come with my hands held high tell you what that did to my spirit. I just sing the scripture. The, the chorus wasn't part of that. It was a different day. That was a different day where I was like, I need, there's something else I want to say to the Lord about this. And so I wrote that. But I just said, Lord, I want to wait for you. And I don't, I am so, I am so tossed and turned in the situation I'm facing right now. And every time I come back to this song, I go back to that moment and I remember that God was faithful. He was faithful. That's why we like singing old songs, isn't it? It takes us back to a place where we remember what God was doing. And so every time, every time I feel myself there, I can go to this song and I can say, My soul waits for you, Lord, more than watchmen. Wait for the sign of the sun. Up on my rampart. You know what I'm saying? There's another one that... Um, I, I actually sing a lot when, I, when, my, when my spirit is troubled, something's going on in my life. And this one I grew up singing, and it might be like that. Why don't you sing it with me? They, they're <laughs> really challenging the media today. If you know it, you can sing it. If not, you can just listen. I want you to just see what it feels like to your spirit when we say something like this.
Spirit. It's different, isn't it? It's different when you just bring your heart and remind yourself that there is a place away from the chaos. There's a place of safety in the presence of the Lord because he's faithful and he can be trusted. And when you come to the place of worship, when you come with your heart, when you get up on your rampart and you're asking the Lord to respond to you, and then you choose to worship even maybe before he says a word to you, before you know what he says or what he's going to do. There's something in that. You don't have to be able to sing or play piano or whatever. You can just worship. All right, team, you can join me if you want to. I know they're dying. They're literally dying. How about this one? Go ahead. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee, because thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. I know great is thy faithfulness. Oh, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great 